0: Like to contact the show, send us an email at live on four legs podcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod.
1: We're just talking in the back and uh, mentioning what a great crowd you've been and how you've done amazing and held up and. Certainly, it's turning out to be a memorable evening, and thanks so much for being part of it. And
0: away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring is
1: Stone Gossels. Fucking camera in the dark. Mr. Boom Gasper. You can call me L. You can call me Ed. You just, just fucking call me, why don't you?
0: Everybody, now welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. We have a really kind of special show and a very special moment to talk about today, and that is from Bonner Springs 2003. A lot of people will call back to this, especially if you were in that audience. It was a rainy night, we're going to talk a lot about the rain and it just kind of setting the tone for everything and being the theme for this whole thing. But there was something very specific that happened right off the bat in that version of release that makes this show one of the special ones from this tour. And people always go back to that version. We'll kind of talk about those impactful moments and stuff that spontaneously happens at Pearl Jam shows, which has been said by both Ed and Jeff on numerous occasions that Those kind of moments are our favorite ones, so we'll get to talking about that, and this was also requested by our patron Chris Bigelow, so we will read his story when we get to that a little bit later, and we'll take your question of the week, asking you guys about your favorite rain shows that weren't necessarily Wrigley. You know, Wrigley, we all understand what happened at Wrigley. We're going to talk about some other rain shows and even some that might have nothing to do with Pearl Jam. So let's get into it. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, yeah. Uh, I want to start with talking about just sort of what happens here and how some of the best things, as I just mentioned in the intro, that happen at Pearl Jam shows are the ones that you're not expecting and the ones that the band isn't expecting. And it's it's stuff going back to, like... Because Jeff has said this in interviews. It's going back to, like, do the evolution where the crowd sings a song right back to them during the solo and everything like that. It's stuff like more weather incidents that you just don't know if they're going to pop up. I'm thinking about the Sao Paulo 2015 show where there was a weather incident and Ed kind of had to make a really nice adjustment on the fly. Like, he kind of handled that pretty perfectly. And... Because the audience knows and because the band knows that those things weren't necessarily made to happen during this show, that they become some of the biggest moments that they've ever had.
2: Yeah, there's something to be said for, especially, you know, a a band that's been together as long as they have that can handle these things, like with new bands and with young bands, it doesn't always work out this way. But when you've got people who've been playing together for a long time, If something happens that kind of throws off the rhythm and kind of throws a wrench into things, they can usually handle it in, you know, kind of unexpected and surprising ways. And like you said, it does lead to some pretty cool moments like the shows you remember, the ones where something off the wall happened or something happened that you didn't expect and like being on stage for that it kind of throws a wrench into things too like oh we have to kind of like adjust on the fly now like you kind of get into that mode where like okay we're following the set list we're playing the songs it's going well and those are fine shows but then every once in a while something expected happens like this and like now you're activating that other part of your brain that you weren't using it's oh exciting things are happening right now and that can lead to cool moments so yeah it's a good point about program shows that we kind of hint around it sometimes but we don't always get right to it
0: yeah, and it's kind of can be like the force of nature aspect, too. I'm thinking about what happened during Crazy Mary in Philadelphia and how that became such a huge moment. And then it affected every other performance that happened in Philadelphia of Crazy Mary afterwards. It became officially their song. It just becomes one of those things. that's just ingrained into your memory. It's cherished because they made it part of the show. They made not just the situation part of the show, but they also made you part of the show as well. It's something that I think all parties can kinda congregate and feel that moment together because not necessarily every time that the band plays a song that you're gonna get 15,000 people that are gonna be like, wow, this is my favorite song, unless the band is really killing it. Some people are, are gonna walk away during Evenflow. That's just kinda what happens. Some people won't know the songs off the new records, while other people, that's going to be the one thing that they're going to the show for. So when you get something that's completely out of the norm, everybody shares that moment together. And considering this version here, one of the things you talk about 20 years later.
2: Pearl Jam is good at being inclusive in these moments and making the crowd feel like they're perfect. You know, we talked about how Ed can just have a crowd in the palm of his hand. He can command 15, 20, 40, 50, 60,000 people. And when stuff like that happens, he can be very charming and very disarming and use it to kind of like get the crowd on his side and make the crowd feel like, hey, you're part of this too, we're in this together. And that makes it even more special for people because they're like, hey, the guy on stage knows I'm here. He can be very inviting in and that makes it really
0: cool for people. Let's kind of talk about release before we get into release a little bit because everybody knows the song's content. And you could say, like, a large part of the audience, whenever they hear release, already has this emotional attachment to it. And in the middle of singing there, you get the Oh Dear Dad line. And literally, two seconds later, the flash of lightning and then what he said, like, it clicks in. And everybody shares that. That's what makes it so riveting, is that you have this moment, and then after it happens, Ed tears it away.
2: You know, the moment itself, you know, it's kind of been built up in legend over the last 20 years. But the actual thing, when you listen to it, he's very kind of humbled and understated about it. He doesn't turn it into a big moment. It's just a very quick, like, oh, hi, Dad. Again, he's kind of disarming with it and understated, which kind of makes you think like, oh, he's being vulnerable, like he's having a moment, like you get the feeling that it's genuine, he doesn't play it up to be like over the top or anything, which I think makes people even that more endear to it.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know what else goes along with this sort of legend of this performance? It's that with some of the performances that go down as some of the legendary things, like you think a porch from pink pop, you think do the evolution from Madison square garden. You think of those things, but this is one of, I don't want to say of a few, but like a handful from this kind of era, 2000, 1998, like big things that happen that you don't get to witness the moment outside of you being there in that moment. Like there's no YouTube clip of this, There's just been nothing that's been passed down. So, really, you hear the version and you're like, okay, take in the version, but like, you don't know what Ed's mannerisms are like during this. You don't know how the crowd is taking it in. You can just make guesses based off of what the sound is like. And it all sounded riveting, of course. But I think without the video, it turns into like even more of a storied legend.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, you get the crowd surge, obviously, and you know that something's happened. But, you know, I remember when this happened, I think getting, you know, Five Horizons was the main source of this. And you do kind of get the notion of it in there. And it says, you know, it's a rather powerful moment to quote, but it doesn't really give you an idea of what actually happens until you put it all together and hear it. And now, you know, we can get firsthand experiences from people who were there. But, Yeah, at the time, you just listen to the bootleg, you know, when you got the CD. I don't think it conveys how cool it must have been. Because, you know, we don't have that moment of the lightning in the sky and, like, the band looking up and doing the thing. Like, that would make it one of the most iconic pictures in their history. But, yeah, we don't have that.
0: It's almost the images that you create in your own mind make up what you think is big. Like... When you think about this performance and you think about where the lightning came from and the reaction that happens too, like you want to see it all play out and you're just trying to picture everything. You just sort of never know unless you were there 20 years ago and you were caught in that moment. All right, well, you mentioned getting some of the firsthand experience from people that were there. As I mentioned before, this was a Patreon request from Chris Bigelow. So he wrote in told us a little bit about his experience in there, and a lot of it had to do with the rain. So let's get into this. I grew up in Kansas City, moved away, and happened to have the good fortune of traveling back to KC for a family wedding within a couple days of the Bonner Spring Show. I went with my good friend Matt, who was a fellow fanatic who I'd been to four previous shows with. This was the fifth show for both of us, so he's been to every show at that point with him. Very cool. As I recall, the next day was pleasant. But the forecast called for bad thunderstorms that night. We drove to the outdoor venue in Exurban, Kansas, and the sky got darker by the minute. It got so dark that even being in my mid-twenties and believing I was invincible, I thought it was probably a bad idea to be out in a wide-open space. As it started pouring on the drive, we half expected to hear an announcement on the radio that the show was canceled. And we were relieved when we arrived and they were letting cars into the parking lot. After a brief tailgate from inside the car, when you're in Kansas City, you aren't not going to tailgate. We walked to the gate and got drenched. An important detail about this venue is that while it is generally similar to all of the other big outdoor sheds, it has one key difference. There is no roof or covering of any kind over the seats. It's essentially a large covered stage at the bottom of a hill. The roof of the stage is pretty high, so in any storm if the wind is blowing from the seats, The effect is that it's raining on the performers. I have a decent 10 club number, so our seats were good. Something like row 8 or 9 about midway through Ed and Stone. It is the only show in which I don't have a ticket stub because it turned into mush in my pocket. This wasn't just a run-of-the-mill rain. It was like the scene in Caddyshack where Spackler says the heavy stuff won't come down for a while. The drainage in the lower portion of the seating area, which is the lowest point in the venue, couldn't keep up and there was a lot of standing water the closer you got to the stage. The rain eventually started to gradually ease. The band went on stage, and they started the first few notes of what's become my favorite version of release, with a bolt of lightning eventually shooting across the sky. John, take it away.
2: Yeah, he continues on to say, Likely due to the weather, it was a very efficient show, with little chatter between songs. A few songs in, we took a breath and realized how few people were around us. At least in our immediate vicinity, it was maybe one quarter full. I wish I knew the actual attendance, not the number of tickets sold, because a lot of people stayed home. The main set went by in a flash. Nice crowd service for Mid and changing lyrics in Not For You and Help Help. At most shows, the energy of the crowd gives you the impression that the place could explode. This night was different. It was a laid-back atmosphere, probably related to everyone being soaked. It eventually stopped raining, but I don't remember exactly when. Given the relaxed mood, the seven song stretch of Not For You through Better Man was particularly enjoyable. After that, there was a noticeable upward tempo shift that began with Save You and lasted throughout the encores. I'm a sucker for Go leading off a main set or encore, and Corduroy is my favorite song, so the first encore was stellar. And looking back, the second encore of "Fucking Up and Baba wasn't the strongest way to close, but it was the first time I saw them play either of those songs, so I was happy to get something new. At the end of Baba, I nearly got a tambourine that Ed threw in our direction, but my pathetic vertical meant I didn't get a good grasp on it, and someone else nabbed it. Similar to my thoughts on Ride Act, I appreciate the show more now than I did at the time. I, Dad, Release, and Immortality in the Heavy Rain were the highlights for me, but an interesting aspect of the show is that it included several songs that would become relatively rare, such as Ghost and Help Help while skipping over a lot of the standard fare for 2003, such as Given to Fly, Evolution, Elderly Woman, or Love Boat Captain, which I still haven't seen in 18 shows. Maybe I'll get it in St. Paul. Uh, It was a short but by no means disappointing set list. I give it a solid 8. So we will see afterwards what our ratings are.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for that story. Yeah, And yeah, that kind of gives you sort of the insight into how bad – this rain was because you kind of they mention it a bunch of times, but also they don't talk a whole lot. So you don't get like you can't hear the rain in, in the mix or anything yeah. like that. That's a reason, then,
2: too, that he adds a lot of lyric changes and Casey stuff, because he doesn't have time to tell a lot of stories. So sure. he's trying to do a lot of lyric changes and throw things in when he can.
0: Right. And this also got pushed back about 20 minutes. If you look at this show and the time of this show, which was an hour 40. And usual shows around this time in 2003 could go up to like 2.15, 2.05 was the one from last week. So yeah, 2.15 is is pretty close. So they definitely had about 20 minutes cut from this show which means you know the 22 songs that they played probably would have been around like 25 or so
2: they were just waiting to see if the rain would let up and probably yeah. trying to get some of those from you know from what we understand too. like some of the seats down in front were just flooded they were trying to probably drain as much as they could
0: right well let's answer the question of the week this week where i just simply asked what are some of your favorite concert memories of shows that happened outdoors in the rain but i had one caveat let's avoid the wriggly stuff It's not that I don't like the Wrigley stuff. I love the Wrigley stuff. But everybody would have brought it up if I just said shows in a rain. People would be like, Wrigley, of course. And everybody would have their own version of the story. We've done a lot of Wrigley coverage. If you want to go back to 2020, we killed. When we did all the Wrigley shows all in a row, then there's special interviews with guys like Stephen Hyden and John Evans and guys like that. And then we even did like a mailbag episode where we we read probably about 30 to 35 different stories all about rain stuff and all the above. So I wanted to hear some other answers for this, and I think we got some pretty good ones. Why don't you kick us off?
2: Sure. I've got one from Jake Talley, who says he was helping shoot a music video for Corn in 2006 at their Family Values Festival. He says, it had been beautiful out all day. Of course it gets dark, Corn goes on, and the sky opens up. Again, a giant mudslide, but this time I have a job to do, so I fashioned a couple of trash bags into a poncho and camera cover before I headed out for the hill into what's turned into a full-on mud war. Pretty sure most of my shots were shit and the video terrible, so it only saw a very limited release before being completely forgotten.
1: (laughs) Sorry, Jake.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, he did his job. He kind of just got to go out there in that situation. There's really nothing you could do about it. And if Mother Nature destroys your shot, it destroys your shot. You kind of have to throw up your hands and say, that's it, I did the best I could. I'm going to start off with my morning jacket at bonnaroo in 2008 this is interesting because obviously everybody knows about the bonnaroo stuff that if you're playing bonnaroo you never know who's going to show up during a set and it seems like they had two pretty big stars show up in their set metallica's kirk hammett came in they played one big holiday that was a big moment and then there's one i'm going to mention when i'm describing a story in a second This is from Michael Kinshawitz, I hope I get that right. A 12 to 3 a.m. set. My friends were already pretty beat from the usual festival activities, and then the rain came. I was the only one who stuck around until the very end. The weather and some of their song choices, it was in the Evil Urges era, tested my patience at times. But the transcendent moments felt all the more special because of the rain. They ended the 35-song set with a cover of Home Sweet Home with Zach Galifianakis dressed up as Annie. So that's a story. Sure. There's video for this, too, and, and you mm-hmm. see in the thumbnail, he's clearly got a red dress on. So Yeah, yeah. Y- you never know what you're going to get from Zach Galifianakis in that for era. That's like right around Hangover and some mm-hmm. of his best work. Mm-hmm. In Between Two Ferns, if you've never seen Between Two Ferns, then that's probably some of the most ridiculous stuff he's ever done. So good stuff. Thanks, Michael.
2: Hear this one out. This is from S.A. Miller. He was at the Tibetan Freedom Concert in 1998. He says, I felt a little bit of weird energy on my skin. I told my concert buddies that I was going to leave my spot in the pit and go into the concession area. A few minutes later, someone was struck by lightning in the crowd not far from where I was standing. So really grateful to trust my instincts and listen to them and glad my friends came with me. And he posted a link to a news article about the lightning strike hitting the people in the crowd. But like he saw about feeling energy on your skin, like he felt that thing and knew to get out of there. That's crazy. Jesus,
0: That's scary. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that there was a time where if lightning happened at shows, they kind of like pass it off as ah get through it. As long as the band is covered, the crowd doesn't care. They want to see the band. Then there's situations like this that kind of make you have to rethink your choices. I'm going to get into a Pearl Jam one right here because I have kind of a follow-up story to this. And it's not really a story, it's more of a, a mentionable. And that's from Lollapalooza in 1992 at Jones Beach Amphitheater on Long Island, which is where I grew up watching Soundgarden playing in the rain, and it's the first time seeing Pearl Jam. That came from Lynn. Now, what's really funny about this is that the next night, they were supposed to do two nights at Jones Beach, the next night got canceled because the rain continued. And it just so happens that my brother was supposed to go to that show with a bunch of friends. When he first told me that, it was really interesting because the first time he told me that was actually when we went to the MSG 2010 show together and he said it was his first time seeing him which i couldn't really believe because he's liked the band for a long time but i just wonder if he would have went to that show if things could have been different i don't think he would have ever been like 10 club kind of guy he doesn't do that with music he's more like i just like listening to it and You know, when I'm playing it, it it sounds pretty good, and I'm not going to follow this band. He's gotten on me. Like, it's the typical family member gets on you about, oh, why are you seeing Pearl Jam five times this week? He does that, but I wonder if his fandom would have changed. Maybe. Yeah. But who knows?
2: I'm going to switch gears and do a a little more lighthearted one. This is from Ivan Kosakoski, who says, we saw Wilco in Lowell, Massachusetts, July 2009. He says we knew there was a chance of rain, but it was a good new album, so onward we went. About an hour into the show, there was a steady but manageable rainfall, then all of a sudden it started dumping. Sheets of rain, just crazy. The band soldiered on for two more songs before wisely deciding to call it quits. Since it was a fairly full baseball stadium, the walk back to the parking garage was slow and about a half mile away. By the time we arrived at the car, I was completely soaked. I felt like I was in a pool. So, I did the only logical thing I could think of. I drove the forty five minute ride home naked. That was the first. Luckily, the poster survived in the plastic sleeve unharmed.
0: you know, i I got another naked one that somebody from Twitter shared, and I wasn't wasn't going to share it until you mentioned your naked story. So now I feel like I got to follow up. But When Red Hot Chili Peppers played... Oh, you you don't have
2: to say anymore. We can stop right there.
0: (laughs) Well, yes. But I'm just kind of painting the picture, I suppose. Whether or not you want to see the picture or not, that's up to you. Red Hot Chili Peppers at Lollapalooza in 1992. Dancing Naked in the Rain to the song Naked in the Rain. Dr. Dolittle has no secrets. Just put it that way. All right. Good answers, everybody. Thank you all for writing in. We had a lot of them this week. Now, there was a pre-show song here, and Ed comes out and plays Dead Man, but we have no tape, nothing recorded, nothing on camera, nothing on film, so it's just Dead Man, and all I have to really say about it is that it was played a little bit in 2003, I guess not as much as I thought it was. I thought that this was like the year where they really brought it out, but... If you remember on the Live at the Garden DVD that one of the bonus features was Ed playing this with, like, a detective hat. He was wearing, like, a detective hat during the performance at, uh, I believe it was Doll. So it's just one of the images that's just sort of burned into my memory. But Yeah, that probably
2: done. probably makes you think it was played more than it actually was. Yeah, it's, it's never had a long run out of shows.
0: Alright, I'm going to read this little tidbit from Five Horizons, even though we mentioned kind of most of it here, but it's going to tee you up for the show. A lovely day turned to dark skies. Lightning and torrential downpour started during Idlewild set. During the set change, the first row of seats are flooded with water pouring from the upper sections. Mike comes out and tosses several shirts out to the crowd, the stage is mopped, equipment is covered, and the band prepares to play as the downpour turns into steady rain and the lightning becomes less threatening. It's just another wish you could have saw it on video, but you're painting that picture and you're setting that scene in your mind as to what it could have looked like. I guess when I think like stages being mopped and everything like that, I kind of think like the stages almost has like an inch of water where you have to kind of, I'm sure there was standing
2: water. Yeah.
0: Right. Where you have to kind of bail it out almost, but it's crazy. But sometimes these shows do make for pretty powerful moments
2: it goes back to what Chris said about wanting to know like, what the actual attendance was. And like, a lot of people probably had tickets for the show and decided, oh, it's going to get canceled. We're not going to go sit through that. It's going to be miserable. So yeah, I'm sure a lot of people stayed home. And like, who knows how many actual people there were in the crowd. So probably adds to the legend of it as well. There's probably a lot of people who have tickets for this sitting uh,
0: somewhere unused. It all leads to this very moment that we talked about in full detail. A couple minutes ago, so here it is, is the moment of release. the most powerful performance of the night, easily. But it's also one of the most powerful performances in their history, because just everything that's attached to the song, when you think about the song, you think about Ed's connection to his father, and how big of a theme that was in 10, and how it would be brought back in later songs, and especially when he did Earthlings last year. But it's just funny, because it's like... I don't want to get into this whole afterlife sort of thing, but it's like the belief that like loved ones kind of follow you wherever you go. And that moment and him triggering that by saying hi to his dad, it's almost like you're connected to that, whether or not it's metaphysical or it's definitely not literal, but there is a connection that you make and almost like you can feel kind of presence being there that's sort of taking under you and i really don't talk like this usually it's not my forte but that's kind of part of the legend of it is that it feels as though this is overtaking ed and then turning into even a more powerful performance after that happens
2: being released to like you think of any other song that this could have happened during during corduroy during go during do the evolution during given to fly like it would have been a cool moment and it would have been something that people talked about but because it was release and because it happened right at that moment spontaneously then he's got that on his mind and he's able like i said be very humble and understated with it it's very quick and then they move on and like the song really good build I'm sure you know we talked about it when something unexpected like that happens it kind of throws a wrench in everything that's happening and that can have some interesting effects and I think the rest of the song they were kind of like we're turned on right now like the switch has been flipped and we're ready to go on this one so it builds to a really good ending as well but this moment is one of the coolest like spontaneous thing that's ever happened at
0: a Pearl Jam show. And his vocals on this are just a thing of beauty, the way that, you're right, he does come off as vulnerable, he does feel like he's humble in the moment, but he just sort of lets it take over him, too. There's some moments where he has on stage where you can tell he's like not zoning in on audience members, he's just kind of like taking it in for himself and feeling that moment, and I can just see that happening to him in this version, just taking it all in and kind of like, okay, what just happened there? That was kind of cool. And then, like after when they come back to the next "Oh dear" deadline, it's almost dead silent in that crowd. They're on the edge of their seats. They're, or if they're not sitting, they're the they're on their tippy toes because yeah, the seats are probably wet as hell. And they're just, what is he gonna do next? They're zoned in, and it just turns into one of these cathartic versions of the song that makes this. Just such a magical experience and an all time yeah, performance.
2: Yeah. And like there are not many too that happen in like the first minute, minute and a half of the show too that kind of
0: sets the tone for the whole evening. Right. You have to go back to the Verona one from 2006, where again, it's another rain situation. He doesn't connect with his father or anything like that, but it's still like you feel the power of that moment. And I believe the story is, is that it just rained during that song and then it stopped. And they went on with the rest of the set list. So it it did kind of have that magic to it, but that that one's on the Corniche DVD, right? It is. It's on Corniche. It might be on PJ 20 as well. I I can't show a clip
2: of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There you have one of the most special moments in Pearl Jam history. And then, yeah, let's go ahead
2: and do our top three and do the rating and then we'll get out of here.
0: I mean, I got nothing else to say. No, no, that wouldn't be fair to all of you that went to Bonner Springs. You know, it's funny because I just, for a long time, just knew this show for for that. And then you go into it and you have like almost no expectations. You're excited that it's the first time that you get Get Right and Help Help while you're doing the 2003 run that we're doing here. And because they want to get through the set, they want to get to all the songs that they can, they just run right through this. So you're going into two album openers to follow up on release. It's going to be Breaker Fall and Brain of J and I just love right after release ends where Ed just exhausts let's go let's go of or fall like he was fired up after that like he's loose he's just shot out of a cannon after release happens and that gave him a charge in this that just made this version of breaker fall feel like he was going full force
2: yeah, I agree, like, release into break fall is not something that I would look at on paper and be like, oh, that's going to be really cool, that's going to be a lot of fun, but like, it works very well, and I, I agree, I think Ed turned that release moment into something big and was ready to go. But I think Mike as well on break fall. There's a little like fill that he does. And, yeah, I you hesitate to call guitar things a fill, because that's usually a drum thing. But it's like he's doing a pick slide but like picking at the same time. It's very kind of jarring and piercing. Very, very cool, I've not heard him do that before. And then the solo is just absolutely brutal on this too, like, in a good way. Mike sounds again like he's been kept in a cage for for three hours before the show, and they like let him out and threw a piece of meat
0: on stage and told him to go at it. And probably while he was in that cage, he was getting drenched, so that, Throws in that aspect into it. And Brandon Jay following up, it's just that same intensity. Like you can tell there's a really good feel happening on stage and just sort of connection with the crowd. And after Brandon Jay ends, there's a huge crowd reaction after that. And like that's how you know, all right, something's happening here. But then you're going to follow up Brandon Jay into two of the Riot Act songs that. Have barely been played in this year. You're going to go back to back with Get Right and Ghost. I mean, it's crazy. Like you would think at this kind of show that they would want to like continue momentum in like more of the hit friendly fashion. And really, you don't get much of a hit until Better Man, and that's the penultimate song in the set. Right. So that's a crazy thing about this. But it's also for like the fan club member. This is perfect because for anybody that wants to see riot act songs this is the ultimate checklist show
2: oh, absolutely you look at save you had been played 54 times looking at live footsteps you are had been played i think some 33 times even something like half full had been played i think 24 times and you're looking at get right here is only the 11th i think and ghost is the 10th or it's the other way around but they're both right around the 10th performance but super excited to talk about get right you know it's the one that never left this era like ever has been played since 2003 so i've been very much looking forward to talking about this one jeff especially it didn't well, mention jeff during Brenda j but he had a very jeff good is Jay, but, get
0: right.
2: yeah the intro and in get right jeff is just going off like he's playing stuff that i've never heard him do before
1: Until sundown. I'm searching the haystacks, water and sunshine. I wait for the moment, the moment between us. The fire is made now, hot of the touch. I wanted to get right.
0: Almost sounds like the bass is a backup singer while Ed is singing the verses, because you get that little kind of up and down, and he's doing this thing, it's do 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 do, and it yeah, like it's, almost it runs all up and down. Yeah. yeah, it almost like you wouldn't expect that to fit within the song, but it fits like a glove. Like this is kind of a masterclass of him playing the bass here. This is excellent, excellent stuff. It's not one of those songs where I think you really think of Mike too much but he does get a really nice solo moment you know like and maybe you don't think of mike because it's only been played 17 times and hasn't been played in 20 years but like mike gets a pretty cool moment to shine
2: yeah that whole solo section i thought and like yeah mike you know takes the lead there but the whole thing felt really kind of chaotic in a good way it just felt like they were kind of just swirling on it like the cameron song so he's obviously gonna be ramped up for it and Jeff and him together, I thought, were just locked in and just adding to the chaos of the whole thing. It was very, very cool. And, like, I, you know, it was kind of, like, doing a little push. we like, oh, we're going to get get right again. Maybe being the 20-year anniversary of it, getting played for the last time, maybe one of you guys will get lucky this fall and get the return.
0: Well, somebody is actually running a campaign to try to get get right back, and that would be uh, one Jason Brown. So he has our full support on this. Oh yeah, we absolutely really want on. to see it. But if anybody wants to sign the paper and, and going back to like the Detroit two thousand and fourteen show where people brought a sign and put like the statistics on it, yeah, like you really got to convince them that hey, this might be the one from this tour to go back to. Ghost was also played. Love the octave pedal happening on Ghost. Sounds really good with Mike. And again, these are two songs impossible to hear nowadays, but in their prime, this is wheelhouse pearl jam. But it's just kind of crazy to bear witness to these back to back knowing what we know now. Like if you were at this show and forgot about this, like this should be on the forefront of your mind because it's probably never gonna happen again. Ever. They will never be in the same show again unless they do the full album, which I, I would think that's probably pretty impossible for them to do. Oh, yeah. No uh, yep. Yeah. But great stuff. Yeah, Get Right is a nice little highlight. Simple from Ed. Not going to waste a lot of time. Welcome to the wettest show on earth. You're holding strong. We appreciate that. It's a triple vitality section, which surprisingly, in 22 songs, there are five Vitalogy songs. That happened in the show that is a lot especially when you look at ten ten's only gonna have one main set song and that would be well, the so opener
2: it, uh, remind you of nashville right it was nashville that had all the biology yeah. songs last year
0: yeah it had six mm-hmm. yeah yeah a lot of what we're about to talk about here yep. immortality didn't have whipping but it had i believe it had not for you if yeah. i'm not mistaken yeah. so immortality is great i thought that this was a really good version here and you had something that you addressed with Javier that we're going to have him talk about in a second but why don't you tee that up
2: yeah there's a part in the middle of the song where I think Mike is doing sounds like the space aid. it's like, like oink and it reminded me a lot of like we talk about when we do those 2000 shows like nothing as it seems things like that where he was going heavy on those effects pedals and this reminded me a lot of that and it kind of charted in my brain to like think oh like i bet javier would know something about this so i'm excited to hear what he has to say about it but it's a really cool kind of out there outer space kind of effect it's it's not something you always hear on
0: immortality I remember them using that a lot on Breaker Fall Mm -hmm. back in 2000 like that's one of those things kind of in between lines when they're in the verses that you'd hear Mike kind of go and do a little bit of that well the girl too like a lot of the binaural stuff yeah Yeah, you might get it from every binaural song if if we look back but he had a bunch of new toys to play with Mm Hmm. well Javier loves toys so what does he love about this version
1: On. Hey, everyone on the podcast. This week, we're covering another 2003 show. This one is from Kansas. And pretty cool stuff to talk about, specifically for immortality. So, guitar players out there, we know that Mike has two signature pedals on his left side of the board. They have been with him for God knows how long. They were removed by 2013. But I will say that they were on there for for more than 10 years. The pedals that I'm talking about are Line 6's specifically DL4 and MMM4 So the MM4 is going to give you a lot of modulation like univive, choruses, tremolos, flangers, rotary speakers A lot of fun stuff and the green one in the bottom is going to give you delays In this song he starts to play around with both of them which is super cool it's Specifically the sound that he gets out of the MM4 is based on the dimension pedal that it was made by Boss in the 80s. Iconic sound, super classic chorus that you can find in a bunch of tracks if you really like. But also, he's playing with that delay besides that chorus effect, but swelling in and out with his volume knob, which is an effect that you can create and sometimes it will sound like a whale, like a whale singing. Critical cool detail about immortality then he will add the wah just to give a little bit more texture filtering to the version of the song in this show specifically I, he went heavy on the use of the chorus i don't know why maybe he felt that that was right need for it but it adds a pretty good color if you want to say it that way to his sound specifically for this tour so yeah it, it's something that we have not covered a lot lately but it's a pretty interesting detail that you can hear in this specific pressure for this tour
0: all right thanks for the info there good stuff very very good version of immortality we'll bring him back in for i believe off he goes when we get to that pretty soon if i'm not mistaken yeah i loved the ending here it was a little airy i really liked what jeff was doing and it kind of made you feel like you were in motion Kind of like if you were in, like, a dream sequence or something like that. Like, dreams that you have where, I don't know, you're sort of kind of floating on a cloud and, like, you're just moving and you don't have any control of where your movement is, but you're also, like, not in a car or on a plane or something like that. You're, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you've had any of those dreams or I just have really fucked up dreams, but... (laughs)
2: Yeah, to me, this felt really Cameron-heavy and it felt like he was really leading the jam there. There's a part where it definitely ramps up and he kind of kicks into high gear on it and I think Jeff and Stone follow. You know, when Matt gets going, they go, okay, here we go and it kind of brings everybody up to it.
0: Whipping is being about a quiet love song about wanting to get your ass beat, and I think that what makes this version—and this version's a pretty solid version—but you gotta love the line change. When in Rome, right? But I think Whipping is kind of back to where they were with Breakerfall and Brandon Jay, just on fire during this. I. Love Stone's little bouncy riff that he has. I like to call it like the pogo bounce. And they just scorched through this performance. Very, very good stuff.
2: The part where Ed's singing, we've had enough. Mike has a very quick little flashy solo over that part. It's like he just goes into Van Halen mode for five seconds there. Just throwing in something extra on top of it. Yeah, that was
0: cool. Not For You. What's your highlight from Not For You?
2: Matt fucking Cameron. Yeah. On Can't that say anymore, yeah, amazing.
0: You know, it's always going to be weird to me because this is the, the in-between era where they don't really do that outro that they were doing in nineteen ninety-five. That, that's on the record, but yeah. also they're not doing Modern Girl yet. That didn't come until two thousand and five. So they just sort of end the song flat, and you're like, oh, well, we're not really used to that, but. You know, it's it's just interesting when it does come up because there's no tag, there's no extension, so they were just like, All right, well, we're just gonna end it, and that's it. This song definitely took a turn when they added the the modern girl tag and took a turn for the better for sure.
2: There's a lyric change too, he says, My friends, they're all in KC. Yeah. So again, not being able to do a lot of speeches and not play it up, he's trying to throw in those little references.
0: Off he goes, follows up the Vitalogy Trio, and versions like this, they're storyteller-first versions. And I love when they make this song about the lyrics, and I feel like I feel more attentive when Ed is telling the story, and then the band comes in, and it's kind of like the band is setting the story scenery in the background it's just really well done kind of juxtaposition
2: when it first starts we've kind of gotten used to hearing off he goes you know with that acoustic sound but this one comes in electric and like has a little bit of like a country and western kind of twang to it you know i'm not talking about like modern country music i'm talking about like 50 60 like hank william senior merle haggard even like a johnny cash kind of a thing like it had that sound to it like it's you know,
0: sneakily kind of a country song john yeah
2: i know yeah and like you get a little bit of that vibe on it here so uh mention that to javier and let's see what he has to say
1: he's been taken too much on there he goes with his perfect Sure, that at some point you have heard the term twang. Super related with fender telecasters, but also associated with Gretsch guitars. Gretsch guitars are the guitar by excellence that you would try to get a twang tone that is gonna be related or associated with maybe country music or even rock music, like that rockabilly music from the 60s to 70s, like straight cats, that kind of sound. In this version specifically, Mike is using a 1958 Chet Atkins. I do not know if it's the original version of it, I don't know if it's a vintage instrument, but that's what you hear in this version of Off He Goes. Sometimes this guitar will be used for Better Man, sometimes it will be used for Glorify G but the one that is used Glorify EG is going to be a Gretsch White Falcon that is a reissue that he acquired a couple of years afterwards. So the twin comes specifically from Gretsch trying to get his own version of hamburger pickups but they have a little bit more clarity to it and they have a little bit more punch which is gonna make that sound that is super distinctive when you hear this kind of guitar. He also has a Jet Glow, which is a silver sparkly one that you sometimes can see in Sirens. Sometimes you can see it on Faithful or other songs, the White Falcon, as we mentioned before. And this one that I haven't seen on tour lately But 2003, 2005, it was a guitar that it was a lot on the rotation. We can also hear it in Last Kiss, so if you're a Last Kiss fan, maybe you can hear that tone there too. But yeah, it's a pretty distinctive guitar, pretty unique instrument that's going to create that twangy sound that you can hear in this version.
0: Well, very cool, bringing in the Chet Atkins Gretsch, and obviously when you think Gretsch for this era, you're going to think about Stone and and Black, but very cool that Mike was using one in this too. Yeah,
2: Chet Atkins, another one of those guys from the 50s, and like, right, we're up that same alley.
0: All right, now we're at the other big, rare Riot act song in the set, which is Help Help, and that's going to be packaged here with Half Full. And, yeah, it was only the fifth performance. They didn't have a ton of run with this. And this song kind of got put on the forefront of our minds back in 2018 when they did the intro to help with this. Help Cubed. uh, Yeah, Help Cubed, right. Yeah. And I guess before that, I didn't really think of the song as much because it's, you know, song number 11 or so on Riot Act, and if you're not a fan of the album, then you kind of gravitate towards maybe the first couple songs that they do play more often live, Save You, Love Boat Captain, I Am Mine kind of songs, but I guess I just wasn't fixating on this a lot, because it didn't sound like Pearl Jam's typical sound, which is totally fine, and kind of makes me think now that I was a fool for doing that, because (laughs) I think the song is just awesome. I love how it has that, like, air of darkness and sort of spirals out of control. And, yeah. like, when they get into the meat of the song, it does have almost this sinister vibe to it. And they, I, I think this is another one where he mentions Kansas City, too. He's a a show of the man from KC. Right. I've heard them play this live. And I guess I didn't realize how good it was then either because it was at PJ-20. But, boy, when we've gotten a chance to cover it, this is just a powerful
1: live song. Tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me, tell me lies, tell me...
0: He brought it back for the two versions that they did a couple years ago but i'd like to see it again
2: oh yeah i'd love to hear this i love that tell me lies tell me why part and then the stop and then it kicks in everybody just lurches in and immediately towards the end oh I'm so good then this is another one too where i thought jeff was just on it completely love listening to what he's playing here i think this mix is really good for the bass as well you can hear everything really clearly what he's doing it sounds excellent and boom too yeah i mentioned boom at the show yeah boom yeah as a cool part at the end of hell too yeah it's another underrated song that doesn't get played very often it's another one of those kind of weird moody ones but yeah i love the tune.
0: if you're not paying attention to it then now's the good time right so Hopefully we put it on the forefront of your minds, but it's packaged with Half Full, two completely different personalities. Half Full is very outgoing and extroverted, while Help Help is definitely steering more towards the introverted side, I suppose. But as we talked about last week, last week just blew me away. This week was good, but I don't think it had that nasty power that it did from the version from Dallas.
2: Yeah, I think that one's better. But yeah, I think this is, again, another really, really good version of the song. It's becoming one of my live favorites that I look forward to seeing on the set.
0: MFC and UR follow up. Now, MFC's intro, what'd you think? Because it could have sounded like two different things. One being Green Disease. And the other being Untitled. Okay. So and they don't opt for a Untitled here, which is interesting. I wonder if no they time. were... Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. If that was just sort of like, nope, we got to kind of do a naked MFC, I suppose. But it was a good version of MFC regardless. And sometimes I, I do like when it can just be on its own outside of Untitled because it just has its own identity too. But Stone taking a solo after that first chorus was just fantastic. Really love that, and you get to hear afterwards like people are pretty appreciative of that too because Stone is getting the Stone chant coming from his side. There's a ton of Stone love that we've gotten in the past two weeks, and none more deserving than him. So,
2: we need to talk about Ed here. Just before we recorded a couple hours before, we heard from our buddy Ryan Blackwell, who was also at this show, and he kind of mentioned that Ed was kind of getting frustrated a little bit, a little bit, you know, towards the end of the main set and we're gonna to get to that when we get to it but you know you mentioned Ed's kind of strumming at the beginning strumming very very hard very very fast I wonder if he was starting to get a little bit frustrated with the environment at this point and like I think it's after MFC you hear it. like Jesus fucking Christ like yeah I kind of remember that I wonder if things are starting to get under skin a little bit, and you're starting to see a little bit of that frustration come out. And it's understandable, but I think that's going to bubble up in a couple of songs, too. Yeah,
0: I think we can kind of get almost to it. But You Are, I got nothing on You Are. You Are sounds yeah. like a, a great version, as it always does. Now, Better Man is interesting because in mid intro, Ed stops and says to the crowd,
1: This is a. Uh It's becoming like a sing-along, and uh, the crowds have been singing. Let's see if you can uh, beat the refs, yeah. I'm feeling it. One, two, three.
0: to believe is 2003 really the year where the crowd first starts doing this as yep. like being the song that's the United Singalong an Evolution Pivot Point there. Oh, the linchpin absolutely. So, yep the crowd listens and right at the end of the chorus it says, alright, you win and I'm being honest about that so, yeah, very very good stuff and then you just hear him at the end just... <sighs> huge scream it injected a lot of life into the crowd without having these kind of songs at all in the last 14 you know you can go back to release and say that's a 10 song but better man was kind of the first time since release that i feel like the crowd and ed have this big connection on
2: yeah, and I think the weather
0: probably had something to do with
2: that. But yeah, the set list, too, there's no small town, there's no Why Go,
0: you know, not a lot of those big, you know. We'll, then, we'll have to talk about Why Go in a minute or two because there was no Why Go back then at all. Right. And bring it back. You know, songs,
2: songs like that that will get a crowd going, you know, once and Jeremy and things like
0: that. Again, a lot of life injected into the crowd to bring you in to save you, which is another total banger. And we really never get to see it close a set. And perhaps it's because the real closer of the set was supposed to go to go. But what information do you have here about Ed and sort of what this turned into that maybe led for him to forget to go back to what was supposed to close the show?
2: Thanks to Ryan Blackwell again for messaging me about this. He says... Eddie seemed kind of pissed after Save You. He even walked off the stage for a minute. Stone was like, what the fuck? Where are you going? And he said they had put plastic on the monitors. And I think maybe he couldn't just hear himself. And they mentioned, too, in, in Five Horizons, I think they mentioned that he slams the mic stand down and the bass it comes off and, like, hits someone in the front row or something. Just a kind of a crazy moment in a show like this. A show that started off kind of very uplifting and very kind of soaring and having a next moment has kind of turned into something else here
0: yeah by the way that the band is going and by the way that ed is acting during songs and presenting these songs i would have never thought that he would have been in such a bad mood like this and i honestly wasn't really thinking about it when listening to the performance i was just thinking yeah there's a great version of save you so that's again part of like the legend of some of these shows. When you don't have the video, you rely on the people that can actually remember it twenty years later. Yeah, and yeah. I hope the, we're able to get hope whoever
2: it was that got hit with the mic stand bases all right. You know, we don't get an update on that, but yeah, hopefully no one was hurt.
0: Hopefully they got an autograph out yeah, of the deal, yeah. and hopefully they didn't get it what you know. Yeah. Alright, we're at the Encore. Let's pause for station identification and talk about some of the things that we got going on. I think first, we'll get into a little bit of Patreon. We do have one new patron this week that actually started up on the free trial, and officially is a patron now. Angie M. So thank you to Angie. Thank you for joining up, and hopefully that was enough to join the free trial and listen in and, and check out what we did and hopefully you're enjoying it more. So thanks for becoming a patron. And now I want to get into the shirts and the giveaway stuff. First, I'm just going to tell you if you want to get a shirt, then all you have to do is go to live 2023 tour. And the shirts are available. Shirts are going to be available for sale until July 9th. So, While there's no rush, hey, get your order in, because you just never know. Yeah, definitely try to get that in sooner rather than later if you are interested in one of these badass shirts. But also, we only had one person take advantage of the giveaway, and that was actually Adrian Peterson, who had been off our patreon for a while but then just joined back on on the giggle egg tier so thank you so much Adrian. Nice. one of the og fans yeah, of live on yeah. four legs from a long time ago from fenway fenway in 2018 so yeah i mean thank you so much for for joining back in and she's a lovely lovely person i love talking to her so yeah she's gonna get a, a free shirt but i still have two shirts left available so the way that you can get a free shirt And really, I shouldn't say free because, yes, you are spending money on the subscription. What it really is, is you're going to get it sent to you earlier than the rest of the shirts are going to get sent to you. And you're also going to get it for way less than the actual price that we're selling it at, which is $25. So all you got to do is go on to Patreon and go to our bonus leg tier and sign up for the $10 yearly subscription under the bonus leg. So that's
2: like $10 and 20 cents or something. Yeah. if If you see that, you know, you're in the right thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you paid for the dollar a month, you're saving $2 if you just do the yearly subscription instead. So yeah, just head on over to the yearly subscription, sign up. And I will make sure that I get one of these last two shirts out to you. Hopefully by next week, I won't be saying, guys, somebody needs a shirt. Let's kind of raffle it off and go in a different direction. But yeah, it's just for a subscription for the whole entire year. You get the whole catalog of what's out there and what's to come as well. Our last evolution episode is Love Boat Captain. That's there. Our next evolution episode, I believe I revealed it in the newsletter this week, is going to be Do the Evolution. I mean, that seems pretty fitting. Why didn't we start the series with that? But hey, we're getting it done. It should be a really good one. And all the other stuff, you know, bonus clips that were left off episodes and stuff from 1992, 1991 shows that we're planning to cover late night series episodes, just other stuff over there and kind of meeting within the community as well of people that have just been so supportive of the show. That's what that is. But for you, if you are joining on that leg. You do get a t shirt out of it. So, the way to do it is to go to patreon.com live on four legs, or you can download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs, or you can go to liveonfourlegs.com after. Well, if you're going to get the shirt in the giveaway, then I guess you don't have to do this. But if the shirt's already gone, then maybe after you visit the shirt page and purchase your shirt, that you can come and click that button that says become a patron and join on in. Also, as I mentioned before, with our brand new patron that started off in their free trial, which I believe we have another patron that started on a free trial this week as well, you can do that, and it's just a seven-day free trial, and it's under the bonus select tier, so if you end up not remembering to cancel after your subscription ends, then all you're paying is a dollar, then if you want to cancel after that, then you're free to do so. At least, if you get the trial, you're able to listen to everything that you'd like to in seven days, and if that's enough for you guys, then that's enough. I just want to give you guys the option to listen to what you want, because I know that a lot of people at this moment might not be able to join Patreon. Totally understood with all the tour stuff, and people that might be booking hotels and things like that. Just not in the funding for a lot of you guys. I get that, but That's why we did the free trial for you guys to sort of check out this stuff while it's still available, which it's always going to be available, but it's available right now. So you might as well try it now. Well, I want to go back to
2: the shirts for just a minute because I don't think you mentioned this. Like, talk a little bit about the cause that the shirts are going to be going for and how much money is going to be going to that.
0: Well, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So. We are going to donate to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation that hopefully will be tied to one of the shows somehow. More details on that at a later date. But if you remember last year, a friend of the community, Sean Sullivan, passed away after his battle with cystic fibrosis. And it kind of became, you know, Sean's sort of legacy and what everybody wanted to remember him by was just to honor what kind of friend he was and what he meant to everybody because there's so many people within this community that know him. He made an impact on a lot of people. Unfortunately, I never got to meet him, but you feel it when your friends are all speaking really kind things about someone. You kind of feel that within this cause and everybody that has the drive to support it that it's the right thing to do in the right situation for the right person and yeah there's going to be a percentage of the shirt funds that will go to the cystic fibrosis foundation and during the tour or after all the shirts get sold I will reveal what we've made for them and we'll cut one of those big fancy checks. One last thing before we get back into the set is that we are still taking submissions for Mansfield stories, you guys. If you were at any of the three shows, at all three, at just one of them, at just the third night, then write into us. And how you can do it is, you can go to liveonfourlegs.com/slash/Mansfield, and you just fill out all the information there. You just tell the story that you want to tell, whether it's finding out about what they were doing in the experiment or finding out about the acoustic set, whatever it is. Share it within the text that you're afforded, and we will tell it on the show in a couple weeks, because we're right around the corner with that. The first episode for the first show is going to be June 28th, so that's two weeks. Two weeks, you guys. So really would love to hear from everybody, and would love to tell as many great stories as humanly possible. So if you were at those shows, please feel free to help. All right, back to the rock. Before we get into the set, I want to address what was written out for this encore because it's pretty all over the place. What was on this set list were 16 songs written down, including two that would technically be coming back from the dead had they have played them. That's pretty ridiculous, and I'm wondering, like, A, when did they write this out? Did they write this out when the rain was coming down and they just kind of writing it out at, at a bullshit. Like,
2: yeah, I think this has to do with like, we know this is going to be a relatively sparsely attended show. Let's do something special, especially for the weather too. Like, let's make this be one to remember.
0: So the two extremely rare songs on this are why go, which hadn't been brought back was Mm -hmm. last played in, in 1995. would get brought back later. In the month, I believe, at Mansfield or before Mansfield. But why go? And then Alone, which wouldn't see a set list until Boston in 2004. So yeah, that's I been great since
2: '94.
0: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, you almost got something yeah. a little extra. Like, imagine if both those songs were at the show. Like, this show would be considered an all time great outside of just the release. Like, you, you throw all that in and people are still talking about this show to this day. I think the release moment,
2: they didn't feel like they had to do that to make this show fair, memorable. I think that's yep. probably the reason that you didn't get those.
0: Yeah, I think you're on top of that for sure. But what's weird is that there are seven songs left in the set. And only three of those 16, Corduroy, Glorified G, and flow that were all played back to back to back. Go was supposed to be the closer of the main set, as, as we mentioned, but there's no listing of Alive or Fucking Up or Baba. Yeah. So they must have just kind of went based off of feel and you know left songs like Down and, and I'm a Patriot and You Gotta Hide Your Love Away just sort of took them out. Which, in comparison to what they got in the main set, you are getting the specific big Pearl Jam songs here. So Ed says, we were just talking in the back about what an amazing crowd you've been. Certainly, it's turning out to be a memorable evening, and thanks so much for being a part of it. My guess is that they didn't really quite talk about that. I'm going to guess that they talked about what they were going to play, and then Ed was probably not happy about something and probably needed a, a little cool down time. But again, that's... Speculation just kinda of going off of what happened and save you. But yeah. yes, Go is gonna open up this encore and it's a pretty big performance. It feels really good, especially the end, like felt like they really ramped it up. Yeah, but, Cameron too, I thought, yeah, kill that. Yeah, I wonder what if this version was that closer, because that ending could have really killed the end of the set, but getting it to open an encore it works here as well.
2: Yeah, it's one of those songs that can do a lot of different things. And, yeah, I mean, what you look for in a song that's going to close the main set is something that can have a good build to it and that they can, like, make a big moment out of it. And Save You is great, but it's not that song. So I think Go would have been really good there. And even coming back with Corduroy is going to have the same effect. It has that same kind of iconic opening that Go has. It would have done the same thing. So, yeah, hearing that intro to Go to come after a break is just like... Oh yeah, even if you're soaking wet, you're like, oh fuck yeah, here we go.
0: get into corduroy here packaged together with glorified g and it's a surprise spot for corduroy you know one of those songs that you're used to it being in that rally section
2: yeah this is a whole surprise encore except for alive like you never think of any of these songs as being in the encore
0: not really no yeah maybe glorified g is a surprise every now and again but i mean now and again for that song is basically once every three years kind of deal yeah but it's funny because I've never really noticed something that happens or doesn't happen in this version. I think I'm so used to when they get into the bridge that right before they're about to bust out into the solo, they go back into that intro riff. They go back to the dum 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 -dum and that kind of fires people up and gets them clapping, but now like, I'm sort of second-guessing myself because I guess I just always assumed that happened, but I don't even remember what happened in, in last week's episode where they played it. Did they do that or did they not? They don't do it here. They just go right into the solo from the bridge part shows that they actually implemented it. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good catch because I wouldn't have listened to that. You know, you hear so many versions of it and but yeah, not to think about it like it missing that part like gives everybody a moment, slows everything down. Maybe they just wanted to like playing around with it, wanted to see like, hey, let's, let's keep this momentum up. Let's not break that moment up. And it, it does have a, a really good solo and a really good ending part.
0: Yeah, just crazy. Like, yeah. you just kind of become resigned to what you hear and you're not like listening for it in other versions but for some reason i picked it out this week and so that was very weird that they just kind of transitioned into the solo without something bridging that gap but yeah yeah we'll have to look out for that in the coming weeks especially when it gets played at the mansfield shows for sure Glorified G is on its reunion tour. I don't have a lot on this, but it's the ninth time it's being played since being dug up from the grave. It has a really nice emphasis at the end where he's doing the, I'll steal your heart from your neck. He emphasizes and says, I would never steal your heart from your neck. So that's a cool ad. Aside from that, like pretty average performance of Glorified G. Yeah,
2: it was, it was fine. I think we had talked about one a few weeks ago, and this one was, I thought, better and a little more, more solidified than that one was.
0: Okay. But the big talking point in this encore is even flow into alive. Now, I would say that this is the first instance that they've done it since 1993, but I went back and I looked at that set in 1993, and that show is incomplete. I was a show in Little Rock, Arkansas, and apparently we don't have that full set list. We have 17 songs from that set list, which I don't know if what's in order actually happened in order, but it seemed like Even Flow" was the fourth song and Alive was the fifth. So I don't know how accurate that is, but really their, their wheelhouse of playing it together was in 1991 when opening up for the Chili Peppers and at Lollapalooza when there were much shorter sets that Alive was never really closed with at that time anyway, but it would get played like third or fourth song because that's kind of the spot for it, and Evenflow was usually the top three no matter what. But it had been played 26 times back-to-back in that fashion, only once where we got an Alive into Evenflow. That's it, just one time and there was only one time that they did it after this show in this fashion and that would be of course the 10 from Philadelphia yep. show so yeah like it's just so weird that they put these two together like that like the main set probably could have used even flow a little bit but you get this to finish you know it's a big climactic moment you know you you kind of exhaust all that into this big spot.
2: Yeah, this felt a little bit in like 2003 is very early for this, but it feels like what an alternate universe Pearl Jam would be where they became that legacy band that... Only played the hits, and like at the end of the show, you're getting the two biggest ones, you're getting Even Flow into Alive. It felt like that's kind of what this was. It was very strange back to back to hear them. Like it's something that we almost never, ever talk about. So there's a moment at Even Flow that's funny that I want to go back to. Thanks to Ryan Blackwell for sending me some details on this. He had teased when I asked him about it. He said, Oh, yeah, Mike face planted during the Even Flow solo. And I was like, Well, excuse me, what? Uh, can you elaborate? And he says, yes, it was pouring rain. He jumped off the stage and was leaning into the front row. When he got back on stage, it looked like he was trying to take off flying. Hands and feet were straight out, and he landed straight on the guitar. Adrenaline helps for recovery. He says, it's kind of like when you slip on the ice and hope the body's soft.
0: Yeah, I think Five Horizons did mention that, too, but not in yeah. that description. Yeah. So, I okay, mean, right. yeah, thank you, Ryan. Good stuff from all three times we mentioned. Good, you, good so. memory. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. It's just I think it's it's the end of the night. Everything's getting crazy, especially you kind of get the adrenaline rush of running down there, and then oh, well, you're not like thinking that oh, I'm going back to a wet set. You're just kind of thinking I'm just gonna keep going. I'm just gonna yeah. keep playing, and yeah. bam, then there you are, face planning I couldn't tell in the song when it happened. Could you? Yeah,
2: no, I listened for it, and I, I guess you know he did make a pretty good recovery on it. You know, you would think you would hear like a uh, like something going completely yeah. wrong, but yeah, you don't get that. I, I, I tried to go back and like pinpoint when it was, but I couldn't tell. I had to go back and really go, you know, second by second to see if you could hear.
0: Let's get into a live going back to release and having a cathartic moment with release. It feels like you are kind of ending this set and even going back and putting the two sets together you're ending with another cathartic moment and we've talked about alive in almost every show we've done I didn't play it every night but it does feel like this one the power is fully back that they are fully back in business it does feel like that curse has been lifted a little bit a couple days before this the show we covered last week they opened with it so they're thinking differently about it anyway but You know, the hesitation that they had in Australia with it, and kind of some other versions going forward where they weren't quite there. It feels like this one knows exactly what it's place in Pearl Jam is going to be. And, I mean, like, there's just a bunch of pinpoint moments that you can go back to. Especially, like, Ed just exhausting out that, Thank God you're still alive! Like, that's something that, if you're there, you know, you kind of remember after the show and you kind of remember one of those things when you're listening to the bootleg it's like yep i remember where it was i remember seeing that so yeah just a big moment and it kind of tells you that even though you you went through kind of a miserable time sitting through the show although you got some amazing music to to listen to you know the rain didn't make it easier you all did it together and yeah as ed would say it made for a memorable evening
2: I think it too, coming off of the even flow is something that was fresh to the band too, so that gives it a little more life. The setlist flow can, can make a big difference as we obviously talk about, but I think, you know, coming off of a big even flow moment going right into a live makes it even bigger And those two combined. That's a one-two punch that, that they don't always do, but it's got a little bit of power behind it.
0: Encore 2, it says Kansas City instead of Bonner Springs. I like to say Bonner Springs because that's what's on the poster and everything like that. But Kansas City works, too. It's the same general area. Like, kind of like the same thing with Maryland Heights and St. Louis.
2: Kansas City can't even decide what state it's in. Who, who, you know, <laughs> the city's got some issues.
0: Oh, don't tell that to people from Kansas City <laughs> or else we will oh, again, get letters. Kansas City, really outdone yourselves. Honest to God's truth, yesterday on the way here, I visited a friend of mine who's in prison, and he shouldn't be. And I was actually one of the members from the West Memphis Three, as we all know, got exonerated for the situation. Got out of there thinking it could probably happen to any of us being at the wrong place at the wrong time, wearing the wrong t-shirt. It makes you appreciate the open spaces and the amount of people that can gather together. The ability to stand in the rain all night. Like I said before, it's a memorable evening, one you won't forget. So thanks so much for your energy. You're going to get two big covers to finish you off, and the chemistry is just flying here. Fucking up and Baba, like they're there to party, and they're, like Ed says, this was a memorable night. So leave the show with two pretty big moments here. I thought the performances were very good. Another big crowd moment
2: from Baba, you know, you had, you know, release and Better
0: Man and we're coming full
2: circle with the big, you know, crowd gets to take it on Baba with the big extended ending to close out the show.
0: Yeah, it was nice. I thought the guitar sounded really good on Fucking Up too. Yeah. Crunchy, yeah. Yeah, really crunchy, you're right. You can tell Ed's shaking those tambourines and they're flying around all over the place. Unfortunately for our friend Chris, wasn't able to get one, but hey, here's to hoping that St. Paul's a little better for him. So Ed is saying goodbye and says, see you next year. They would never return to that venue, but they did return to Kansas City in 2010. So they made good on something, I suppose. But also, can you see that people there, like the minute that the band leaves the stage, just all look at each other and be like, what just happened? Like, what did we witness tonight? Yeah, yeah. And then just try to wring out their clothes. Yeah. I mean, I would say that probably, like, at least, you know, 60, 75% of that crowd probably just got naked and drove home naked.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Can't blame them.
0: All right. Let's pick our top three moments here. We already know the number one, but let's give some participation trophies out, I suppose.
2: (laughs) My number three is actually get right. And... Not just because of the novelty of it. I loved hearing the bass there. Jeff just destroyed that intro. I thought it was a really good performance. My number two is Off He Goes. And my number one is Release.
0: No shit. I think we have the same number one. I gotta change mine now. Shit. Fuck, what am I gonna do? Number three is gonna be Help Help for very similar reasons to what you said about Get Right. It's not for the novelty of it. It's that the song was a just a banger it sounded fantastic i think number two for me is immortality from this show i really like this version and just the way that it just grooved at the end just felt really really nice from this and then my number one is gonna be ed throwing a tantrum after save you no it's gonna be release or dead man because we don't have the actual tape out there so it could have been better than all of what we saw but hey not like we had a magical experience in the first song of this set, right? Now, we had a reason to do this show. Was there an actual reason to do the show? No. No. It was just waiting to get the version of Dead Man for somebody to revive it from the dead, right? Eh. Yeah. Anyway, let's rate this show now.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one to rate, because like you said, the big moment happens so early on, and then you've got to kind of judge the whole thing thing as you keep going you get further away from that moment. And we talked about, you know, some of the issues that this show had and the encore I don't love. So I'm not going to give this a, it's not going to be in the upper echelon, but it's, it's going to be very good. I'm going to give this an eight and a half. The release moment gives it a little bump.
0: Yeah. I'm going to bump it up a little more because I feel like when you do have That big moment, that's what the show becomes. And since the inception of the podcast, and whenever you talk about certain eras and certain shows that people have been to, like this comes up a lot for this reason and for the rain and for just the experience. And did we have that experience ourselves? No, we didn't, but it happened, and we also trust the people that kind of shared their story with us about being in this situation. And to me, I think that aspect of it can't be discounted. Was the set the best set in the world? No, no. I think the, the main set was really missing like one or two more big songs and the encore just felt way too packed with them in certain spots. But I think that the moment sort of outweighs all of that. And that's why I'm going to give this one a 9. I hate to like give a rating based off of just one song's performance or anything like that, but it really defines what the show is. And to a lot of people, and really when you're looking at the history of it, it's one of the most important aspects of the 2003 tour. And one thing that people kind of always go back to, too. So, yeah, that's where we are with that. This is it. All right. What are we doing next week? We are going to 1998 because we haven't really covered a lot in the 25th anniversary of the 1998 tour because we've been really focusing on 2003, but this is also the exact anniversary dates are happening around this time because their first leg with Matt playing in the band for the first time is happening all throughout June and a little bit of July. So we are taking another patron request from our good friend, Aaron Redman, and we are doing East Troy from 1998. I believe it's the 26th show. So one night one, right? So there you have that. And I'm just going to remind everybody right now, if you want to grab a t-shirt, liveinforlegs.com slash 2023 tour it's a nice looking shirt if you haven't seen it yet so please consider it again you have till july 9th but definitely try to get it in as soon as possible makes us feel like hey we're selling this at a good clip so let's keep pushing let's keep going with it so be really happy if you guys did that and did us a solid did yourself a solid with that too and the mansfield shows we're getting you know another two weeks away again if you want to tell your story from the Mansfield shows, any show that you attended, then please go to liveonfourlegscom slash Mansfield and submit your story. That would be extremely appreciative, you guys. Okay, that's a wrap for this. Don't forget, if you're not subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, then please do so. That means we come up in your notifications every Wednesday, or even a day where we're not supposed to have a show. Maybe it would be a big surprise. So if you do that, then you'll know what we're up to. But also on Apple, if you want to tell everybody else what we're up to, all you got to do is leave a comment. Leave a comment tell people, hey, these guys covered this show that I went to, and this was great. And you guys are going to relive these memories because of what they talk about. And then... That person's going to see it, and then when we all get together during tour time, somebody's going to say, hey, remember this show? Oh, yeah, you know what? I remember. I've listened to the Live on Four Legs episode. The next guy's going to be like, well, what's Live on Four Legs? What's a podcast? Because believe it or not, a lot of people will say, I've never listened to a podcast when bringing up that I have a podcast. So there's that aspect, but word spreads pretty quickly, and you know, people love listening to their old shows and they'll love to hear us talk about it apparently. So if that word spreads and more and more people start talking about it, then we're in a really good spot and you're in a really good spot too, because that way you are getting those memories sent back to you. Something that doesn't happen every day. All right. Say goodbye. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. And Hey, you know, what's crazy we went through all this dad conversation without bringing up that it's father's day this weekend so happy father's day to everybody out there who is a father who has a father especially to those who is a father to a two-year-old yeah you know who me all right we'll see you next week
1: dad All right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh yeah, sure, he uh, just got off the cell phone with me. You did? So, go on. Uh, go on with what? Well, I, are you gonna sing a song or something or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, uh Yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, Oh. I'm I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. (laughs) And um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. (sighs) Wow. That's weird.